Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Today you can see the message title is Behind the Scenes, but first I want to draw your attention to this next slide. It's by way of saying thank you. Uh, I'm out of prison one more time, and I want to thank you. I thank the people at Nixa last week, but you can see we were down there for some teaching. You can see uh, us teaching. You also see a picture off to the right side. Uh, Chaplain McGraw sitting on one side, you probably recognize me. And the young lady with the short sleeve shirt is my teaching partner, Cheryl Gieseke. Uh We had chances to worship. You can see the main, uh, the big chapel that seats about 900 people in the main prison. Uh, we actually heard a very interesting sermon called, This is My Home. Talked about communication, sports casting, and how the fix is in. Do you realize that? With Jesus on your side, the fix is in. And then some personal stuff. Uh, I could tell you more stories, but I did meet a man who has been in prison since he was 16. He's now 58. Could not fill out his prayer request because he could neither read nor write. Uh, there's more to that story. We also had an audience with the new warden and Warden Van Noy. And he sends his greetings and says, thank you for this. Uh, these congregations, Redeemer and Springfield and Nixie, have both been very gracious to us in helping supply Bibles, Bibles like this. Every inmate gets one. They literally weep many times when they get these Bibles. Uh, thank you notes will come back and they'll be sent to Pastor Sippy, who will share them with your prayer team. Uh, they're just overjoyed. And I just I can't even begin to say thank you enough for what you guys do to make our ministry possible. Now, let's get on to the sermon. Today's gospel reading was John chapter 1, verses 6 to 8, and then verses 19 to 28. And to be quite honest, I can never figure out why they skip verses. And so I read the verses in between, because the verses in between are really some pretty cool stuff. And so I'm going to preach not on John 1, 6 to 8, on 19 to 28. I took the verses in between, verses 10 to 13. I'm going to tell you that at first glance, when you study your Bible, and I often have students who say, you know, when you study the Bible the first time, it seems to be a pretty intimidating book. It's filled with strange names like Zerubbabel or uh, Jeroboam, names like that, uh, places we've never heard of, uh, books we can't even pronounce, uh, verses we don't understand. uh, And even people who've read and studied their Bible for years still have trouble understanding parts of it. But you see on the screen sometimes, however, it helps us to remember that the message of the Bible is really not very complicated. A few years ago, I found this. It's the Bible in 50 words. It didn't seem possible. You could take the whole Bible, put it down to 50 words, but there it is. God made, Adam bit, Noah ark, Abraham split, Jacob fooled, Joseph ruled, Bush talked, not George W. or George H.W., but Moses balked. Pharaoh plague, people walk, sea divided, tablets guided, promise landed, Saul freaked. That's an interesting one. David peaked. You can only guess what he was peaking at. Prophets warned, Jesus born, God walked, love talked, anger crucified, hope died, love rose, spirit flamed, word spread, God remained. Now, I don't know who wrote that, uh, but whoever did it, that's pretty, that's pretty cool kind of thing. Now, you can quibble with what's left out. Um, you might even ponder those phrases like Saul freaked, which isn't entirely clear. But no matter what it means, it does rhyme pretty well with David peaked, which is, in fact, entirely correct. 
Uh, I like it for a second reason, and because it goes beyond cleverness. It reminds us that the simple truths of the Bible are actually quite clear. In fact, I think I can boil down what Christmas is all about with one single fact. And you see it there. At Bethlehem, a baby was born who is God in human flesh. That is the central truth of the Christian faith. God became a man at Christmas time, and everything else we believe flows from that very simple statement. Now, with that in mind, I want to go back to the uh, fifth Bible of 50 words and take a look at just these 12 words from there that talk about the life of Jesus. Jesus born, God walked, love talked, anger crucified, hope died, love rose. Now, I think John probably... Uh, would have loved that because he had a habit of distilling some great Bible truths, some great theology in just a few well-chosen words. In fact, you might remember that he wrote the, under the guidance of the Spirit, the shortest verse in the entire Bible in John 11:35, where it says what? Jesus wept. I hate the newer translations where it says Jesus burst into tears. I kind of like the old one. Well, John 1, 10 to 13, which we're going to deal with today, uh, illustrates his amazing ability to uh, state some huge spiritual truths in just a few words. In fact, in John 10 through 13, he uses exactly 74 words to tell us what happened when Jesus came to earth. Now, these 74 words don't tell us everything there is to know, but they do tell us how people responded to his coming. Now, most of the readings today are talking about John the Baptist, how John the Baptist is going to tell his coming. But right in between that little story of John the Baptist, you find these words. And these words in 10 to 13 of chapter 1 answer a very critical question. And the question is, if Jesus truly was the Son of God, why on earth did they crucify him? I mean, if he really was God walking and love talking, why did so many people want him dead? Well, let's take a look with the first part of this, and this is Christ ignored. In, in chapter 1, verse 10, in 10, verse 10, it says, He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Now, I want you to note three Pretty supreme things about that little Bible verse. The supreme fact of history. Christ was in the world. The Messiah was actually in this world. The supreme truth of history. The world was made through him. I mean, go back to John 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. You know, the Word, the Word was what created this world. Jesus was, was there. There's a supreme fact or tragedy of history. The world did not recognize Jesus when he showed up. See, everything kind of starts with that fact that Jesus the Christ was in the world. And John means more than just a few fleeting words here. We know that Jesus was in this world for about 33 years. He was a flesh and blood man, tempted in the ways that we were, yet without sin. He was born of a woman with a human nature just like ours. Uh, he was born as we were born. He grew up through all of the stages of childhood. Uh, he was not a robot. He was not an angel. Uh, he, he was not some strange alien from a distant galaxy. He was not some sort of a Star Wars hero. He was one of us, and he walked and he talked 
like all of us. But there's always been a great divide in humanity. The majority of people never really recognized who Jesus was. When he came the first time, Herod hated him. The scribes ignored him. Only the shepherds and only the wise men actually recognized him. Just think about that. Only poor people and foreigners actually recognized Jesus for who he was. Now, I'd say it's pretty much the same way today. I mean, Christmas, yeah, Christmas seems to be disappearing around us, doesn't it? I mean, there are people who don't even want to hear the word Christmas. I read the other day that the Muslim mayor of Nazareth said no Christmas celebrations this year. Now, he backed off on that. But yet, you know, we used to always tell people, Merry Christmas, and I thank God that at least in Branson, hopefully in Springfield, we still hear people say that. But so many people say, no, you've got to say what? Happy Holidays. Because we don't want to offend anybody. Now, i got to tell you, I'm an equal opportunity offender. I, I really don't much care. Uh, now, and where students used to have Christmas holidays, I hope, Paul, that you still have Christmas vacations at Springfield Lutheran. Amen. Thank you, brother. But now we have, in many places, what? Winter break. I don't know what that means. And we have nearly sanitized the birth of Jesus out of every public school in America. In fact, Christianity appears to be the C word today. It's kind of unmentionable in polite society. So you see, nothing has really ever changed since when Jesus first came into this world. He came into the world that he created, and the world had no idea who he was. Here's the second thing I want you to notice. Christ rejected In verse 11, it goes on to say, He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. I think ignorance is the worst part of all of this. John said, He came to that which was his own. Now, you could translate that more literally to say, He came to his own home. His own home being Israel. And guess what? Israel did not receive him. Now, maybe you've seen that little uh, wall hanging where it says, home is where when you go there, they have to take you in. You ever seen that one? Uh, Jesus came to home. He came to his very own people, Jews, Israelites, and they would not take him in. I mean, who is this guy? I mean, does anything good come out of Nazareth? Oh, he's the son of Joseph, that carpenter. And maybe some people even thought, oh, he's the illegitimate child of that woman who thought the Holy Spirit caused something. And they wanted nothing to do with him. And they should have known better. They knew he was coming. I mean, God told him over and over and over and over and over again in the Old Testament. In many and various ways. That's what Hebrews 1 says. In many and various ways, God spoke of old to his people through the prophets. I mean, they had ample warning. In fact, think about it. Even pagan astronomers from Persia figured it out when they saw his, what, star in the east. I look in my Bible, and guess what? Moses said, the Messiah is coming. David said, he's coming. Jer- Isaiah says, he's coming. Jeremiah said, he's coming. Daniel says, he's coming. Micah says, he's coming. Zechariah says, he's coming. Malachi says, he's coming. And guess what? They missed it. Every page of the Old Testament testifies to one great truth. He's coming. Now, today we lit the pink candle. This is Gaudete Sunday, I think, if I remember my liturgical background from seminary. This is a joy Sunday. The great joy is that he has come 
And Advent is doing what? It's telling us to get ready for his second coming, which I often think as I'm preaching, may it happen during the sermon, so I don't have to finish it. I'm waiting for that day. See, that's the whole theme of the Old Testament, that God would one day send a Messiah to this earth to deliver his people Israel. And when Jesus showed up, they didn't believe it. And some of them decided they were going to put him to death. And just think of the very long history of Israel as you read through the Old Testament. Over and over again, they rebelled against God's law. We just came back from prison where we spent a week teaching on the book of Judges. Oh man, what a horrible book that is. But you have that sin cycle of sin, judgment, and rescue over and over again. Time and time again, they killed the prophets who came to talk about Jesus, the Messiah. I mean, is it any wonder that they decided to crucify him? I read an article a number of years ago written by a columnist from uh, the Los Angeles Times. His name is uh, Joel Oppenheimer. He wrote about growing up as a Jew attending a Christian high school, which is interesting. And every year at Christmas time, this Jew was forced to sing Christmas carols, but he and his other Jewish friends would say, hum, hum, whenever the name Jesus came up. And he wrote, they sang Silent Night this way. Silent night, hum, hum, night. All is calm, all is bright. Round, yum, hum, 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 hum. <laughs> now, he goes on to write in his article, these were significant questions for fifth grade Jews. Why did the song insist that Jesus was the king of Israel when all of us, to a child, knew that he was not our king? see, he came to his own people, to these Jews, to the one place where he might be welcome, to his hometown, to his own family. They did not want him. They did not receive him. They did not believe in him. And finally, they crucified him just to get out of the way. And that rejection continues in large part to this very day. But there's a third part, and that's Christ received. I love these next verses. This is why I chose to preach on this text today. Why we don't include this in our readings, I do not know. I may write synod a letter about it. It won't do any good, but I may just do it just to get it off my chest. It says, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. So you see, the bad news is not entirely bad. In fact, this isn't even bad news. This is the best news anybody could ever hear. And while it's true that a lot of the world ignored him, his own people rejected him, not everyone ignored and not everyone rejected. I mean, some people actually recognized Jesus. They welcomed him as Lord and Savior. And it's useful to recall that All the apostles and 100% of all the disciples were actually Jewish. Even during general rejection, many people followed the Lord. Now, I love verse 12 up there. Uh, And verse 12, I think, is one of the greatest verses in the New Testament. That's why I was kind of bummed out that they leave that out of the gospel reading. Because it tells us how to be saved. In fact, the great preacher, Charles Spurgeon, uh, began his sermon on John 12 with these words. He said, everything here is simple. 
Everything is sublime. Here is the simple gospel by which the most ignorant may be saved. Now, I want you to notice three words in that verse. The first word is received, received. This word means to welcome a visitor into your home. It's what you do when you plan a Christmas party like we had at our house last night, and you tell your guests to arrive at 6, and they show up at 5.05. Well, what do you do? You receive them anyway, and you put them to work in the kitchen, and as the husband, you're able to kind of walk away from that mess for a while while all the visiting women help your wife. You say, you receive them even though they have come early. And to receive Jesus means to welcome him as an honored guest no matter when or where he arrives. You make your heart his home. That second word is believed here. And this means more than just saying a prayer. It has the idea of really believing that Jesus is the Son of God from heaven and then trusting him with your whole heart. It means resting on him so completely that he is absolutely, positively your only hope of heaven. And then the third word is that word right. That word means honor or privilege in the original languages. It's the moment you receive Jesus into your life, whether it came at the baptismal font some years ago, whether it came in your life sometime a little bit later, maybe when you walked an aisle, or who knows, maybe some of you Lutherans were saved at a Billy Graham crusade. I have no idea. But God gives you the honor of becoming a member of his family. And this teaches us, by the way, that not everybody who says, I believe, is a child of God. Because we know that even Satan believes, but he has enough sense to shake. See, all of us are created by God. But not everyone in this world is a child of God. Sometimes people carelessly say, oh, we're all God's children. But the Bible says no such thing. God only gives the privilege of being his children to those whose personal faith receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. Now, verse 13 also talks a lot about how we become God's children, and I call these three knots and a but. Now, all four of these are important. It says not of natural descent. I mean, grace does not run automatically from one generation to another. You are not a Christian just because your grandparents were Christians. Uh, You may be a Lutheran because your grandparents were Lutheran, but that doesn't make you a Christian either. Even if your grandfather graduated from Concordia Seminary in Fort Wayne, like I did, is not going to make you a Christian either. You won't get brownie points either just because you come from a good family and you have a fine education. I remember a story I heard when I lived down in Texas. A young guy was trying to impress his girlfriend, and he said, I've got an MBA from Harvard. She says, yeah, and i got a VCR from the Walmart, but that don't mean I know how to use it either. (laughs) So your family background does not count when it comes to your salvation. The second not is not of a human decision. Uh, Literally, that phrase means not of the will of the flesh, meaning that There's nothing you can do to save yourself, so don't bother trying. And it says, not of a husband's will, literally, not of the will of a man. Uh, Perhaps meaning that you can't get some big shot to get you into heaven. No man is big enough to swing wide the doors to heaven. And here comes the but, but born 
of God. That's the heart of the gospel, friends. That's the heart of the good news. Salvation is of the Lord, not of works, of the Lord. It's totally free. It's totally through grace, through faith. It's not a cooperative venture where God does something and we do something. God does it all. But some people, I, I've had people say, well, don't I have a part to play in salvation? Sure, you've got a part to play. There it is. Next slide. Your part is to be hopelessly lost in sin. That's your part. God's part is to save you. The way, this way, only God gets credit. Salvation is a work of God from beginning to end. Now, the only question that I would leave you with this morning is, have you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Uh, I long ago stopped assuming that everybody who showed up in church was saved. And that's why I think it's important to ask that question. Have you actually received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Now, the world ignored him. The world rejected him. The question is, what are you going to do with Jesus? What are you going to do with him? You know, it's not enough that he just came to earth. His coming uh, will do you no good if he came but stays outside your life. Now, you might say, well, I believe in Jesus, and, and that's good. I'm glad you do. But have you ever really welcomed him to become the resident president, if you will, in your heart and in your life? See, Jesus might be in your Bible, Jesus might be in your church, and I pray, I know he's in the Bible, and I pray that he's in, in your church, whether it be here in Springfield or Nixon or anywhere that I have the opportunity to share God's word. And he may be in the Christmas carols you sing. He may even be in your Christmas cards. He might even be in your nativity scene that sits on the mantle in your home. But it means nothing unless he actually lives in your heart. Now, I asked this question last week when I spoke in prison. I asked a group of people, how, how would you like to be saved? Now, understand a lot of guys in, in prison have really never been confronted with Jesus before. And it still amazes me to this day when I say, how many of you would like to be saved and receive Jesus, actually receive Jesus to see the hands and to see people come forward with tears in their eyes? You see this passage up here, John 1, 12, it says, yet all who received him. Think of those words, to all who. In other words, there's no human limitation. There's not only a certain number that will be allowed in heaven someday or to be saved. It says, to all who, and guess what, who includes you. I mean, many have received him. What about you? Uh, many have welcomed him. And I'd say, what about you? Uh, many have opened their hearts to him. What about you? Well, I'd probably be remiss if I didn't answer the question. Have you received him? I mean, how do you do that? Now, I, I, I'm probably going to assume that most of us say, yeah, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. But just, just for maybe a couple of you that might be here this morning, maybe you've never heard this before. I don't know. How do you do that? Well, I always say it's as simple as A, B, C. A, admit your need of him. I mean, do you feel a need of Jesus in your life? Or have you been kind of going it on your own, thinking you can handle this? The B is just to believe the facts about Jesus. I mean, do you believe that he is actually the son of God 
from heaven who lived on this earth in human flesh, who loved you enough to die in your place, bearing your sins. I mean, do you believe that he actually rose from the dead on the third day and that he's now exalted at the right hand of God in heaven? And then the C is just to welcome him as your Lord and Savior. That's just kind of opening the door of your heart by the tug of the power of the Holy Spirit and receiving him into your life. See, in short, receiving Jesus involves trusting him and trusting all that you are to all that he is. In the church I grew up in, St. John's Lutheran Church in Seward, Nebraska, we had stained glass windows along the side. I used to sit in the church. My grandpa was the janitor there, and I'd be there helping him clean and get ready for church. But one of the stained glass windows on the far side of old St. John's was Jesus standing at the door and knocking. I looked at that picture a long time, and I finally worked up the courage to ask my grandpa, why doesn't Jesus just open the door and walk in? Some of you know the answer if you've seen that famous painting. There's no doorknob on the outside. It's open from the inside. Jesus stands and waits for you to open the door. I want to end up this message today just with a... A simple prayer. A simple prayer of commitment. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, for a long time we have either kept you out of our life or kept you at the perimeter of our life. We've kept you close enough just to be kind of handy where we can take you off the shelf when things get really bad. And yet we sometimes keep that door closed when we hear you knocking. But, Father, today, by the very power of the Holy Spirit, we want to be able to say that the door to our hearts is open, and we welcome you into our hearts. We gratefully and joyfully receive your gift of salvation. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming to earth, and with all of our heart, we truly believe that you are the Son of God who died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead on the third day. We thank you for giving us the gift of eternal life. Come into our hearts. Be our Savior. There will always be room in our heart for you. Amen.